Hey everybody, welcome to the fifth episode of Zero Positivity, the only show that fails to live up to its name every single episode. <laughs> um, we have a guest with us today, Trevor Strunk of No Cartridge Podcast. How you doing? Hey, good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm getting through the day. That's so, good. Uh, That's a little bit of positivity. You already you already like <laughs> lived up to your catchphrase. I'm, I'm, I've been doing a really terrible job writing episodes that are as critical as I want them to be. <laughs> um, every single time we get on here and it just ends up being really happy. Like we did an episode w- w- about new metal that ended up being very celebratory. And I was like, that's not really what I was going for at first, but it ended up being a good episode that I'm really proud of. So what are names for anyway? Yeah, um, right. I, I think like, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think if you're, if you're doing something where you're bringing people on to actually talk about something, they, they, uh, feel something for, like, I know you had, you had, that was when you had Brian on to talk about uh new metal, right? Yeah. That yeah. Was, he came on for that and did a much better job than anything that I was prepared to do. So, <laughs> but I mean, I, well, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that's not true, but the, the, I mean, like he actually has some sort of feeling for it. Like he cares about new metal and, I think like once you actually get someone on who cares about it, even even if some of that is by way of like, well, I admit some of it's silly or, or whatever, it's hard to be completely not positive. Like I could come on and talk to you about, you know, epitaph era, uh, you know, punk from 99 to, I don't know, 2008 or whatever. And a lot of it I would I would repudiate. Uh, There's a lot to be angry about there. <laughs> yeah, but... I don't know, man. Like, I think, I think if we if we actually dug into it, I would be saying a lot of things uh, that were very glowing and and kind of uh, halcyon days about the at uh, any number of compilations. So I don't know, man. I think I think you're sort of like the format's making a better podcast, but it's definitely uh, sh- uh, shooting the title in its foot. Yeah, you know, you win some, you lose some. Maybe we'll we'll pivot at some point, but you know, <laughs> that's not what's on my mind. But I think. You know, what we're talking about today is going to be really exciting. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to focus on rhythm games yeah. and what they did for the music industry, I guess, at the in their golden age. Um, can you give me a little bit of history on, you know, where this started and when it finally started to pick up? Yeah, so... I mean, this isn't something that I'm like a, a a scholar on necessarily, but my my understanding of rhythm games really sort of uh, starts, and we we sort of both agree that we'd be talking about Western rhythm games because there's something about, uh, you know, non-Western uh, rhythm games, sort of Japanese rhythm games that uh, outpaces the the Western version in some ways. You you sort of you end up with like these these odd hybrids that you're seeing today. Uh, just because of the the way the steam market works and the fact that we're getting sort of more niche stuff like um uh, uh crypt of the necro dancer and um uh danganronpa and all these sort of like strange rhythmy games that aren't rhythm as we would understand them um so putting that aside although it's like totally fascinating um you know american rhythm games or western rhythm games really to me start in the arcade um particularly alongside uh, stuff like Dance Dance Revolution, um, even stuff like Cruise in USA, uh, the the sort of like influx of games that let you become the controller, um, whether by way of your feet, steering wheels, or in the case of Guitar Hero and um, Guitar Freaks, uh, the guitar itself. 
Yeah, so I, I something that could be said there is it doesn't necessarily need to be reliant on music 100%. It could also be, you know, anything that forces you to move your body and maintain a certain form of rhythm. Yeah, for sure. Although I will say, I think like the the rise and fall of the Wii and the Kinect um and not that the Wii is like the Wii did a lot of different things but like the idea of the Wii as this um exercise machine basically um the idea of the Kinect is that i think in some ways uh proves that it really you don't have to have music to do it but music really does uh it helps it coalesce let's say yeah i think it it really is what made it so tactile and and sort of rewarding was this sort of pseudo experience of learning to play the guitar, working your way up from the beginner mode all the way up to expert and really feeling like you walked away with something, but in reality you had no discernible skills of any <laughs> kind. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I remember hearing people complaining about, uh, you know, guitar hero, people playing guitar hero. So of course, like the, the next step, uh, not to get too ahead of myself, the next step, um, in, uh, the push towards like the you know the popularity of these rhythm games was um home versions it, it turned out that home versions of these games really was what was needed um and while dance dance revolution sort of hit a snag because um you know while it's really fun to play at the arcade if you play on a, a mat on the floor the mat will move and it's a pain so you know if you really want to play it at home you need a like a metal box and like a grate and like it's you know it's a much more of an investment than you would want um guitar hero they sold the guitar in the box um you got it when you bought the game the game was a little more expensive because it came with a controller and then you were good to go um and i what's funny was i remember when that really started taking off um the there was this discourse around it where people were upset right that uh guitar hero was convincing people that they were able to somehow play guitar um and I came into it as someone who played bass. Like I played bass in a punk band for, I don't know, five, six years or something like that. Wow. Um, not like, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't, we're not well known or anything, but uh, you know, just for a while. Um, and I wasn't particularly good at it. I was all right. I, I could, you know, play the rhythm. Um, but I didn't really feel like guitar hero was the same thing, but I didn't feel like it was markedly different. Um, outside of you know you're not learning how to play notes you're learning how to move your fingers and associate movement with a rhythm which you know is a big part of playing an instrument but certainly isn't the hardest part of playing an instrument it didn't translate well right um i i remember taking that next step from you know the first time i had worked my way through some of the more advanced guitar hero stages and deciding that i was finally going to you know move on to a real instrument and just giving up within a day <laughs> because I, I didn't, it just didn't translate nearly as quickly as, you know, what had happened when I first picked up Guitar Hero, which, you know, took maybe 30 minutes for me to kind of develop a deeper understanding for. Well, yeah, sure. And I mean, you think about, you think about Guitar Hero as like a, a thing, you know, a guitar, any sort of musical instrument is not made with the user experience in mind um, because they're just so, they're so old, right? Like, it's not like, there's nothing about the guitar that's meant to be like, okay, so here's like, here's how we're going to like, you know, map the user interface onto this. When the guitar was invented, I mean, the idea was just to create more sound. I don't think they were worried about the consumer 
experience. Um, and so like in Guitar Hero, of course, there's like this gradiated difficulty level. You can start it easy and you'll without too much trouble get to normal and then to hard. And then with some, you know, effort, you'll get to expert and like the controller feels right. What they've programmed in is like doable. And it just it's this it's this um, it's this veneer of like plausibility that I think isn't there when you actually like get to a real guitar and you're like, oh, some of this is impossible. <laughs> Just the it was linear. There was only five buttons, and it, <laughs> it was really developed illusions of grandeur. And people my age, because when I first went hands on with I, I the first Guitar Hero game that I have memory of is Guitar Hero Two. Yeah, um, that's I, the one I, I played the most of too. It, it was for me and a lot of my peers. I'm 22, so I was maybe 12 when that game came out. 10. Yeah, I was and, I was in the first year of my master's degree, so I'm a little <laughs> a little irritated with you. <laughs> so I don't mean to date you in it's, front it's of all okay. these people. No, I'm I'm happy to date myself. It's fine. Um, but for me, this was you know this sort of offered a twofold experience, which mm-hmm. was, you know, it was the first time that my family were, was all in the living room together playing video games. This is you know. For most of my life, it was something that I could not sell to my dad under any circumstances. <laughs> sure. And then suddenly, it was this vehicle uh, that sort of bridged that gap. Um, it was music that he recognized and music that I was being exposed to for the very first time. Um, and I think that is what drew me in as much as it did, because there was a almost a mythos to it, because there mm. was a whole extra set of layers to explore beyond just the peripheral that I was using. There was a whole legacy of music involved. Uh, and that was something that I think really drew a lot of people in and what birthed so many sequels and, and competitors. Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I think just like, just to add to that, there's like, there's, there's the part of the mythos that uh, guitar hero plays into, which I think is like, is definitely that sort of like um, delusion of grandeur. You hear that a lot. And then you also like the idea of someone becoming like, oh, you know, I get this. Like this is this is what music is like, like a solo artist sort of like playing or whatever. But it's also a party game. And I think like that that idea of family is just playing together. Um, it, that's what made Rock Band, right? Like that's what made Rock Band so right. popular. That's sort of like, that was the pivot there where they're like, okay, let's pivot to making this like a Mario Party style. Like everyone in the family is going to enjoy this sort of thing. And, and it totally makes sense. Cause like, I remember like my, my prevailing memory of Guitar Hero uh, 2 was uh, playing um, with a bunch of friends in my apartment in New York and like uh, a buddy and me just putting on Freebird a bunch of times to make people angry. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, you know. On that subject, I remember um, when I had finally mastered the medium setting. Um, it's no joke, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, for- the first time I had used the blue button and I was, I was feeling very confident. And I had just fallen in love with the song uh cliffs of dover by eric johnson <laughs> okay all right and which was an inclusion on the guitar hero game and i decided that i was going to play it until i got sick of it and much to my friend's father's dismay that was never <laughs> um and i played it roughly <laughs> 20 to 30 times <laughs> it's brutal and you know i had no awareness of of the situation at the time because i was like 12 or 13 mm-hmm. um yeah so it just it was at the time just an endless cycle of 
fascination. And I, I guess maybe you had a little bit of a different experience because it was something more of, I guess, a more casual game to frustrate your friends or, or maybe just kind of bring the room together. Yeah. I mean, for me, for me, I definitely, I definitely played it more solo than I did with my friends. Um, I, but like, that was just kind of the way it was when I was playing guitar hero. I, you know, I was in my apartment, uh, I was getting my master's degree. It was the first time I was like, it wasn't the first time I was on my own, but it was the first time I was in like a non dorm situation. Um, which like, I think a lot of like 22 and 23 year olds have in common. Um, but like I was in a city without a lot of my friends. Uh, I had a roommate who I liked, but like, um, you know, my, uh, my wife now, but my girlfriend then, uh, was, you know, not in the area. So like a lot of times I would just like end up playing guitar hero by myself where like, you know, just to pass time. Um, and yeah, I mean like the only difference there is that like, it didn't carry, it, it carried a sort of mythos or like a mystical power, uh, in terms of being like a really interesting video game, right? Like it never felt like it never felt to me like I was doing, say, what I did when I played bass in the band or whatever, uh, right. in practice or or in performance. I mean, in some ways, playing bass was was much more of a uh, was much more inorganic. Let's say, um, you know, I just like I they brought me in the band literally because the bass player quit and they were like, Hey, um, buy a bass and you can be in the band like that kind of thing. Uh, and you know, it was basically just learning how to do it and, you know, forgetting my notes sometimes, uh, working through it sometimes, you know, eventually becoming adept enough. Um, and guitar hero really doesn't work that way. Guitar hero is like it, as you say, uh, it gives you like a, a, a straight linear path. So to me, it was like, definitely a video game first like i it never felt like music to me but it was like it added something to the music in 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 a way i, I wasn't expecting like um crazy for you the the opening for crazy for you uh the heart song on yeah. guitar hero 2 is so hard um if you play it on the harder levels and like now when i listen to crazy for you if i hear it on the radio or whatever um I think about it differently as a result. I just listened to that, that introduction uh, much more carefully. Um, so yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's like, I think it's like something that there's this, there's this kind of magical perfect mix between what was happening with the controls and what was happening with the music. Yeah. And I, something that I think that was really special about these games is that it was, you know, pushing the sales of this music that had existed for, you know, 20, 30 years at this point to a whole new audience um you know there was all kinds of different um studies that sort of showed like aerosmith has made more money on the returns from their rock band or guitar hero um they had an edition of the game for themselves and they ended up making more money from that than they did their actual album sales throughout the course of their career. Hmm. Um, not only that, though, something that's even more interesting to me was its ability to make relatively obscure songs a little bit more uh, mainstream accessible. I, I guess my first experience with a song like Through the Fire and Flames by Dragon Force was okay, strictly yeah. through the medium of, I think it was Guitar Hero 3. Um, so for, I guess for the better part of 
you know, five or six years, it was, it was single-handedly driving my experience with the music industry uh, and what I understood it to be. Um, That's really interesting. Cause like the, I, I actually, I did come at that from a different angle. So I was, I like, I was definitely a, uh, a sort of like, um, uh, I don't want to, I, I hesitate to say hipster. Cause I don't think I was ever, um, as sort of like cool enough to be a hipster. Uh, but, uh, I definitely like, I definitely was in this, in, in a scene. Um, and you know, a lot of what I did in my spare time was just like learn about new bands and go to, go to record stores and shuffle through old CDs and stuff like that. Right. Um, so that, that way, like I knew who Dragon Force was before, um, and that's not like a brag, but like I knew who Dragon Force was going into it. Right. Like hearing them on Guitar Hero was neat, but sort of in like a, oh yeah, it's like a Dragon Force. That's kind of like a, a funny thing. That's cool that they're getting that, that attention. Um, but I was kind of interested in the fact that, so like, uh, two things really interested me about the music selections and how they became accessible. The one was the, the bonus songs. Like, um, I'm thinking of, um, I don't know, like, I can't even remember some of the names. Um, there was a band that I know Chris Onstead who wrote Akewood liked a lot, um, and, and mentioned a couple of times. Um, uh, oh, and, uh, um, um, oh, uh, mm, I'm not going to think I'm not, it's, it's like pink, pink Camaro uh what's that band's name i can't remember but like there there were a bunch of bonus songs basically that you could get um and all of them were like like weird weird songs by like bands i'd never heard of and some of them were good and some of them weren't good but they were sort of like this weird alternate kind of like scene that like i had never heard of these bands and i was pretty pretty involved in music and they just were on the on the guitar hero soundtrack it's like that's kind of cool like i i like that um, but I also liked that they had stuff like, um, Surrender, uh, and I'm, I'm blanking on that band too, uh, just because I do this with names. Um, uh, Cheap Trick? Yeah, Cheap Trick. Thank you. I kept thinking Clash and I was like, well, that's not right. And I kept trying to think of Live at Budokan cause that's always the Cheap Trick record I think of. Um, it's an I, incredible record. <laughs> yeah. And like Cheap Trick is a band that I really didn't take very seriously. Um, but Surrender is such a neat song. It's so good. And like it's a song when it came up was like, Oh, this is like going to be boring to play. And it was great. And like the, the way that like guitar hero was able to take, um, not exactly deep cuts, but certainly like kind of like, I would say second or third tier songs by classic rock acts and make them relevant. Um, was something that I don't think had ever really been done since the days of, um, you know, 45s. Yeah, absolutely. And anything that that can make a 12-year-old boy care about Pat Benatar, I think is a really <laughs> powerful yeah, entity. Because yeah. <laughs> I had, was so like caught up in, in, in playing Hit Me With Your Best Shot and perfecting it on, you know, it was, I don't know, it was a singularly unique experience. And I actually never really dove too deep into the, to the rock band games because by the time that rock band was sort of hitting its stride, I had aged a little bit and was sort of coming coming into my own as somebody who consumed music and yeah. was sort of looking down my nose with disdain at, at the songs that were showing up in rock band because you know i thought i was this I, I thought i was hot shit for having white stripe songs on my ipod oh yeah i mean you have to that's like that's just like a i think in some ways it's kind of interesting to hear hear you talk about it because like there's you go through kind of 
ebbs and flows as a uh, as like if you really get into music that like it's funny to hear you talk about rock band like i would talk about say um punkorama 4 would be my my introduction like warp tour 99 oh wow um, when i went there like i mean like you know it's just what you know whatever it's it's not exactly like a legendary show um you know no one no one's gonna be telling their kids about the time they went to see like blink 182 in asbury park but like <laughs> um you know uh i saw them in pennywise and like i brought up i got a pennywise shirt um and that was like you know that signaled that i liked a different thing and so like that I didn't I didn't have a lot of friends in seventh grade because I had just moved to the school uh, district uh, that I that I grew up in through the second half of my life and like our second half of my high school life. And that sort of gave me some personality to build off of. And then from there, you just sort of like build on. And I don't know, by the time I was 18 or 19, I was looking down my nose at everything. It's just like at a certain point, you kind of want to forget where you came from and forget that sort of sense of wonder about it. And then when you get older, it's like, well, now I know that I don't know anything, so I'll get that back. Yeah, I sort of, you know, think back at the way, you know, all, I've had Spotify for X amount of time, so I can go back a certain amount of time and look at what I was listening to at the height of my smugness about my music <laughs> taste. And it's like unilaterally worse than anything I'm listening to now. But not only <laughs> that, but I, I skipped key parts of my yeah. childhood um, as a result of games like Guitar Hero. So everyone was having an emo phase, and I never even listened to any of that music because I was so caught up in classic rock. You really lucked out by missing that. I don't, I don't, you know, while I, while I will wax nostalgic about uh, Epitaph and Fat Records uh, compilations, <laughs> I will not wax nostalgic about uh, Drive Through Records compilations. Not, not too nostalgic. I will, I will still uh, stand up on a table and fight for the Get Up Kids, but that's about it. Um, no, but like it's 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 really interesting because like I think I don't know like it, it, there's a there's a sort of smugness that comes from I mean there's two kinds of smugness the ones is like the one is like looking at songs that your dad likes or your mom likes and thinking like well I'm way cooler than that and then a smugness where you look at stuff that your peers like and you think like well they don't listen to anything good and there was when I was in college I got I got kind of pushed out of this unfortunately like before i played rock band so i came at this with a much more open mind um there was this online live journal community called um called fuck you crew i don't know if you curse on here or not you can bleep me out um, oh I, we yeah it's okay a, we do it a lot <laughs> okay so um uh the site was basically uh, if you know kathor jensen on um on twitter yeah. he was he yeah. was part he was he was a member of the fuck you crew which is um i mean that's its own thing uh but he um he and other people who were in it basically their job everyone would come and post their top 20 bands basically um and like anything like it could be it could be a band it could be a rapper it could be a group of rappers it could you know whatever it could be like a, a classic artist it could be a composer right you could name whoever you wanted um and basically the reason you read the live journal was to watch people post their terrible lists and get completely <laughs> eviscerated <laughs> But what was what was um, really interesting about about FYC was that like they would they would you would see people post these lists where you'd be like, oh, that's what I like. Those are 20 bands that I love. And they'd be like, what? Like, listen to some more music, like listen to a black person, like listen to something that's over 50 years old. Like, <laughs> get out of here. Like, you know, you don't you don't know what you're doing here. This is the worst list I've ever seen. 
and and the 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 amount of like oh i actually have to know a lot about music to like to like feel as if i i have the sense to have a top 20 bands you know that's something kind of like powerful and interesting that i think is is i don't know maybe something that not a lot of people come out on the other side of well i know that even as somebody that consumes a lot of music every year i still you know could not even begin to put together a, a top 20 artist simply because I think about the music that I'm consuming now. I have no way to discern whether or not it's going to be <laughs> seminal records. Right. You know, there are things that I think are good now, but I have no way to gauge if these are like timeless bands that will anyone will care about in 20, 30 years. You know, yeah. if, I, if, if I really had to bet on that, I'd have to be picking Father John Misty records now because <laughs> I feel like that's all that's going to like end up having any staying power despite the fact that I may not like on a fundamental level agree with that music well and that's the other thing like it's 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 about it's about staying power and then it's also about just like this brash confidence in yourself saying like no i know no one's listened to um you know the sun city girls but um you know i think the sun city girls are one of the top i i actually don't but i really i do like them a lot but uh it's like a, a an fyc favorite sun city girls um, you say like, yeah, I, I think that they are one of the 20 best bands in history. And you just say like, okay, they could be very unpopular. They could like sort of, that could just be like, whatever. Oh, that Kevin Coyne, another person like they loved and I love Kevin Coyne. Um, but you say like, oh, if you said like, oh yeah, I like Kevin Coyne better than Bob Dylan and, uh, and, and you know, like David Bowie and, um, you know uh leonard cohen etc etc um that's true i i I do like him better but also people are going to look at you like you're crazy and so it's this brash confidence of like i don't care if it has lasting power it's really important plus this idea of yeah these are also like this isn't just a fad this is going to be important forever yeah because so much of our identity is tied into the media that we consume Mm -hmm. and so Especially within music communities, because I spend a lot of time in my local, you know, DIY community, and um, it's one of the most toxic places, I've ever, you know, I've ever oh, of course stepped Absolutely. foot in. But I love it nonetheless. And um, but it's all, you know, it's just every, everything is about social capital. You know, mm-hmm. how well you play your instrument. Yep. What kind of music you listen to. You know, what or not, you have, what if your if your instrument's good, right? Literally everything. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I have my modded out, you know, you know, jazz master, and I, you know, it's got my my Bigsby on it, or you know, or whatever the fuck. I don't play music. Um, no, you faked it pretty well there. <laughs> it's, you know, you you pick up some jargon after a certain amount of time listening to gearheads like absolutely <laughs> talk no, no. over each other <laughs> because because I basically was like. <laughs> a buddy who got asked to join the band. I never graduated past like I had a fretless bass, which impressed people, but I just liked playing it cause I didn't get fret buzz. Um, right. And uh, cause I wasn't very good at playing bass and the, um, and uh, I had a PV amp. That was my second amp and it was fine. Nice. It was, it was fine. Whatever. Like it was big. It was not an, it wasn't on entry level. It was just like, you know, maybe like a $300 amp. I don't know, but it was fine. Like it, I bought it secondhand. It was, it worked um and like it shows sometimes they'd have big amps that we'd plug into sometimes we'd bring our own it didn't really matter but i picked up enough by hanging out with people that i could just fool people i was talking to into thinking that i knew a ton about hardware 
usually it was just a matter of agreeing like oh yeah yeah i like that and then like every so often you're like no i don't know i hadn't heard good things about that and then they say something and you agree with them (laughs) it's it's the perfect yeah and i know we're on a little bit of a tangent right now but there's something i i I do want to um something that has been on my mind for a really long time and i think now is as good a time as any to like air this grievance but having spent so much time in the community um one that considers itself to be fairly progressive um there is a really rampant amount of classism oh yeah in in you know the way it functions because you have a lot of late 20 somethings who make noise music and they are very uh condescending about the concept of success you know they 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 sort of (laughs) sure they parade themselves as leftists, but at the same time, their parents are still paying their rent and buying all their gear. And it's very easy to scoff at the idea of selling out. Um, and that's just something that's sort of pervaded the community for as long as I've been a part of it. And it's really forced me to take a few steps back and take a couple of deep breaths because it's... Yeah, I, it, don't, I don't blame you. It, it dominates the culture, um, which I thought always thought was really interesting because, like, this nebulous idea of the pursuit of art doesn't mean anything because, you know, <laughs> it's either about not making it or making it or whether or not you, like, are subversive or we'll probably have to edit this out. But um, I read the most, like, depressing string of tweets from somebody <laughs> who um, was... He makes noise music in the area, and I'm not going to dox him because he's a local. And um, But he was tweeting about how he was upset that there weren't enough like leftist noise musicians int- interested in postmodernism. And That's he's ridiculous. mad. <laughs> it's so was, ridiculous. It's it's just like I, like, I was really into noise in college. A buddy of mine got me into it. And like I was really into noise by way of um, my, my sort of entryway into noise was Wolf Eyes. And... I still really like Wolf Eyes mainly because like what I like about Wolf Eyes is that they're basically interested in making noise through like dumb stuff they find and like trying stuff. Like I remember like they would bring a mace and like run it across like a chain and like amp that. It's like, okay, that's cool. Like they're actually like doing something there. And I remember they played with um, when the guy from hair police joined instead of the other dude who was in uh, Taiwan or um, uh, Thailand. Um, it was worse. I mean, I didn't like it as much, but like the, the, that was just the taste thing, but they played at this, um, this great place. I loved, uh, on Juniper street in Philly where like, basically it was just a bunch of people squatting and they'd have these, these shows. And sometimes they get people like wolf eyes, but other times they just get like these, like kind of nobody bands, um, that were like really high concept and, and weird and interesting. And it was just so unpretentious. Cause it was just these people who were like, literally homeless that were just kind of like enjoying music right and i get pieces of that when i go to shows like that but everybody else you know we denton i don't i don't know if you're familiar with denton texas at all but it's um sort of a diy hotspot in the state and um we have a lot of dedicated venues it's a city that is very insistent on selling its identity as a music town um and so these noise musicians are playing bars and getting kicked out and then going on social media tangents about it. And it, 
Hmm. <laughs> it's a mess. Um, and that does sound like a mess. It's it's not great. But uh, you, let's um, go ahead and move on. Um, sort of. Yeah, yeah. The, the... Well, I th- I think there's a really natural segue here, and I don't want I won't cut you off. But I I thought of it when you said there was like this level of classism. Um, and also I'll note here because it's right after the the edit. Uh, I turned up my mic volume just in case uh, your your um, producer is wondering because I was going a little a little soft. I I saw. Um, okay it's, perfect thanks it's okay. been weird it's been it's been adjusting itself tonight uh which is not not great um but hopefully hopefully the rest isn't too quiet but the um uh yeah i think like there's a natural segue here which is that like you know talking about classism in in the scene um is like there's there's a corollary in terms of rock band and like what rock band asked its players to invest in so like you know, you can buy a controller. Well, so like, let's start at the beginning. You can spend a buck twenty-five on an arcade game. You can play an expensive arcade game if it's a good experience. You can pay eighty bucks for a controller in a game if the controller is the game and it's a really cool experience. And then, like, you keep going up and you're asking people, like, oh, you have to shell out like two hundred bucks for this. You have to get like a drum kit and set it up. And like, there's a microphone and there's two guitars and like, it's very cool. But there's a, a serious ask. And to me, it always seemed like the the idea behind Rock Band was quite solid. And the the sort of like concept there really did have legs. And it wasn't like they were just doing it for a money grab. But like at the point, there's like this point at which it's no longer fun. Like there's like the, the sense of like sort of joy or um, ease is taken out of it. And like not for everyone was that Rock Band. Obviously, Rock Band was a huge success. But like moving on from that, I think would have been almost moving onward and upward, let's say from that would have been almost impossible. There's really nowhere to go after that many peripherals being tied to one game. No. And even, you know, it it was so genre defining. The Guitar Hero had to expand to a full band game uh, with Guitar Hero World Tour. Right. Um and essentially, they became carbon copies of one another after a certain point. Um, and both of those, I mean, this could even extend to a conversation about how capitalism ends up destroying really good things. <laughs> because the both of these yeah. games devolved into cash grabs. You know, there was a new Guitar Hero game every three months for a period of time up until I remember that. Yeah. And like and 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 then there's like the level of scarcity, like can you get the right peripherals at the right time? Like, you know, what's buy them all in a set, or if you don't buy them all in a set, which one are you gonna need more? Which one is rarest? Like it's just it's a nightmare. And they were reaching, you know, a secondary market price of, you know, hundred to two hundred dollars for the peripheral. Yep. And now yeah. they're not worth anything. <laughs> Well, I mean, that that's perfect capitalism right there. I mean, it's it's interesting too that like we end up we end up starting these things off with a kind of sociality, which I, I find really interesting because I've never talked to anyone who's played a rhythm game without a level of sociality. Even like even um, so, Roger Clark was one of the guys I had on my show um, on No Cartridge about. And he came on with uh, with Trent, um, uh, Good Boy Trent, on Twitter. Um, I think Roger's just Roger Clark, but, um, on Twitter, but they're both really interesting guys. And Roger came on to talk about dance dance revolution. And like half of his story was, yeah, like I just like, I started making friends. I started getting into like, I, I made connections through DDR 
and it's like that's you never hear anyone saying like yeah i i hold up in my room and played guitar hero and i never played it with anyone else right um it is so except for freddie wong well yeah except for freddie wong (laughs) yes right but like it's just him right it's just it's an anomaly right like the the idea is so social but then like as you get these kind of bigger buy-ins the the social group goes away because at some point you're gonna like you're gonna ask your friends like hey do you all want to chip in and buy rock band and they're gonna be like well we had a lot of fun with guitar hero but rather get a case of beer and just hang out (laughs) (laughs) it 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 definitely was marketed towards a lot younger crowd it didn't Mm -hmm. it didn't I, I mean, I can't speak to it. I was 12 and 14 for the duration of its, you know, legacy. But I, I can't imagine it being nearly as successful as it was with me and my friends, you know, you just strung out on sugar and, you know, just you know, very yeah, sure. benign parallels. It's, no, but I mean, yeah, I I don't want to cut you off. I, I'm sorry, am I cutting you off? No, please. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's really interesting seeing like contemporary cause like there's, we, we talked about this a little bit, or I mentioned it a little bit at the beginning, I hinted at it and I don't have terribly much to say about it, but like there's a resurgence of rhythm games happening on PC. Um, and it reminds me of like, I, I went on, um, I don't know if it'll be out by the time this comes out or not, but it doesn't really matter. Um, it's coming out soon. Uh, I went on uh, auto weeks podcast to talk about uh, racing games and like there's, I was talking to them about it. And I was like, yeah, some of these games were really fun to play. Some of them I couldn't play at all. Cause like I didn't have a steering wheel and they were like, Oh yeah, you need a steering wheel for some of these. And like the people who were really into it, like some of them didn't game at all. Some of them were super into it. And the guys that were super into it had built themselves like, um, essentially cockpits out of like the one dude took a, an old seat out of a car, um, and basically hooked it up so that there was a gas pedal and a brake, um, a sh- uh, you know, a, a clutch, uh, and a shifter and like a steering wheel and everything. Right. Um, so you probably spent enough that could you like buy a lower end car? Like <laughs> he already, he already had the seat. It was, it was, it was, it was his okay. organic. So it wasn't that bad. <laughs> right. Um, but, but no, like it's, it's what I like about that in some ways. It, and and it, it goes on to the rhythm games too, is that like, a lot of the rhythm games like thumper that was actually uh produced by uh one of the dudes from lightning bolt which surprised me um but thumper is basically just this game that is a um it's a rhythm game that goes along with like kind of like noisy electronic music and you just mm-hmm. you hit keys or hit mouth hit the mouse button it's very simple right um but it scratches the same itch and there are a lot of games out there that scratch the rhythm game itch that yeah if you wanted to you could probably get peripherals for some of them that made them much more immersive uh but you don't have to like you can just actually just play the game right and so i guess that's something that these tell me a little bit more about these games that are coming out i I guess this would be a good place to move on to um yeah i mean like so uh, they seem to kind of go in two different ways one is like a i guess like an rpg style um or a, a, a I guess anime inspired style game. So I'm thinking particularly of this game called Danganronpa, which is I have uh, seen that. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what it was, but yeah, I haven't played it yet. I, I I plan to, but it's like a it's effectively like a murder mystery game. Um, but it it maybe a murder mystery suspense game, but the main mechanic in it is uh, rhythm. Like you have to like the interrogations are rhythm based. Um, 
And so that's just a different way of understanding it. Same with, um, uh, uh, I think it's called um, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Uh, it's a roguelike, so like a procedurally generated game that relies on rhythm for combat. Um, and even games, like even fighting games are sort of like stepping closer into this in terms of like what you have to do in the correct order to execute moves. Right. Um, essentially, like, and even in Thumper, right? Like that's on some level, I'm trying to remember that game. There was a game for a while called like Base Runner or something like that, where you could you could like play around with the sound wave effectively. Um, and that's what Thumper is. It's just like it's a it's a neat looking sound wave that you get to play and uh, interact with. And all these games basically are, you know, I'm 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 drawing a very wide net over them. So apologies if for anyone listening if they they think I'm like not doing uh, justice. But like the the point of the games is like it's not a rhythm game. It's a game that uses rhythm as a mechanic, right? And you can lean into that as much as you want. Like, yeah, I'm sure you could hook a DDR pad up for Thumper and like make it an exercise game or something like that. I, I would not be shocked if someone has done that. Or for Danganronpa, I would be even less shocked. Um, you know, you could probably even use a Guitar Hero controller. But like the 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 peripheral isn't the thing. Maybe that's the way to say it. The peripheral isn't the thing. It's actually the rhythm mechanic that ends up being the thing. It's maybe not as profit-driven as some of these other, you know points in history for that type of genre which Mm -hmm. i can't think of another game that's like more flagrantly profit driven than games like guitar hero uh yeah i mean and and you almost can't blame them in in a certain way right because like you i mean you can obviously it's it's anti anti (laughs) anti-capitalist perspective you could totally blame them and i and i would and but like you as individuals as people who are just like putting together this game company you see that people are willing to buy this massive guitar from you plus the game. And you're looking at it. You're like, this is like, this is unprecedented. Like, I don't know. You're too young to remember this, but like the, the NES, the Nintendo entertainment system came with a little light gun uh, that you used to play duck hunt. Right. Um, And then the super NES, I figured you'd remember that, but like the super or know that anyway, uh, because you were not born when the NES came out, but the, um, uh, the, the Super Nintendo also had its own light gun. It was this giant bazooka you could buy. Um, and it was like essentially not a thing that anyone had. Uh, no one used it. It wasn't very, you know, you, it, no one wanted it. And part of that was because there were no good games for it. And the other part of it was because you could play all the games with the controller and it was the same thing. And so this idea of having to buy a peripheral never caught on until Guitar Hero. And like you're looking at these guys, I mean you're these guys, and you're looking at this, and you're thinking like we have hit the mother load. Like this is this is <laughs> this is what we've needed all along, and it's it's I, I don't blame them on one level. Like I I understand I, I can't imagine I would do the any differently in their shoes. I, I think I'd be greedy too. Um, you know, no ethical consumption or production under capitalism. Yeah, why would you if you could push the envelope as far as you possibly could like Exactly. We sold all these guitars. There's no way we're not gonna be able to sell this drum kit and this microphone. Yeah. And the second guitar. And then what if we did a game for every conceivable <laughs> band from right. the years nineteen sixty through nineteen ninety? Yes, exactly. And like I think on some level the crash from that and the crash from you know, the height of the Maddens and the crash from, you know, the height of any of the the franchise sports games or the franchise games in general that just came out every year on a dime and people just bought 
you know, there's a crash from that. And there's a particularly crash from ones that needed peripherals that have led to a, a current, more like austere gaming uh, community that largely comes up on steam. Uh, a lot of indie devs and stuff like that. Um, and smaller devs that you wouldn't have seen otherwise that really are just trying to fit a lot of things in one package. Um, and much like, you know, I'll, I, it wouldn't be a podcast with me if I didn't do this, but like much like, uh, you know, Mark says this in the working day uh, chapter in Capital, uh, my favorite chapter in Capital, when he says, you know, he points out that it's good that that, that workers, he spends, you know, I don't know how many pages, 100 pages talking about how people got the, the eight hour day. Right. There's a whole chapter on how people got the eight hour day. It's very interesting. It's like a Dickensian. Um, it's not like the rest of the rest of Capital. It's it's all right. Like that part of the, the thing is, is OK. But this movie makes it at the end is brilliant where he says, yeah, look, like that's good. You want an eight hour day instead of a 16 hour day. Great. They did a good thing. Um, but don't think they're going to get less labor out of you. Right. This is where surplus or relative surplus value comes in, which is basically uh, Marx's fancy way of saying the bosses learned how to say work harder. Um, you're going to get me the same amount of labor that I got in 16 hours in eight now. Right. Um, and it's the same thing, right? Like, yeah, OK, we learned our lesson. We can't flood the market with bloated peripherals and expect the the concept of rhythm to save the day. Um, but then the consumers and the companies just turn around and say like but we still like rhythm like we still like that make that cheap Um, right and they just sort of moved that profit model laterally into things like skylanders yeah exactly disney infinity and you know whatever else is happening because that you know is now for all the 12 year olds that aren't me anymore yep exactly and and i mean i think what it goes back to a point you were making earlier which i thought was really good was like you sort of music doesn't enter into that like the the sort of like entry ground of music is is it's over because music i mean it's music tends towards uh expense music tends towards the wealthy which is unfortunate um because there's all sorts of these scenes that start off with people having nothing right like the noise scene or the punk scene or the hardcore scene or post-punk or whatever right like all sorts of garage people just like or people in garages recording and just like with the worst equipment and with not great sound even like something as you know literally fascist as norwegian black metal is like this right like but it always tends like even norwegian black metal still sounds that way but now it's expensively done like now it's like we have to get in a studio that has exactly the right tone so we can produce this. Or we're like, we have to rent out like this incredibly expensive ancient church. So it's like everything right. about it always tends towards like, record an album in a tire factory. And yeah, exactly. The mountain goats sneak into some facility and record something. And yeah. And it's not like, it's not out of necessity anymore. It's, it's purely out of like social capital. I guess is that's right. To... Yeah. Social capital. Yeah, exactly. Just trying to make yourself as legitimate as possible. Um, and that just ends up being like more expensive. Like, okay, yeah, my amp, my bass sounds better through an Ampeg amp. I can't afford that. Uh, so I guess my bass isn't going to sound better, which is going to make me sound like I'm just like a local band as opposed to a punk band that's raw in a non-local sense. It's like, this is, it just, that's always what it tends towards. Yeah, and I mean, there is, um, a, I guess, sort of a, a qualification I need to make on this point because, please, um, 
I do not necessarily agree on the other side of the coin with the romantic romanticization of having nothing. For sure. Yes. Um, and, it's a very good point. Taking, because it's something I, you know, we've commodified things sounding like shit, too. You know, it's just like, <laughs> right. we, it, and it's it's just as bad on the other side of that coin. Um, but something else that I think that is the last nail in the coffin for games like Guitar Hero is just the very obvious point of the death of the rock star. Mm, yeah, for there's, sure. There's nobody left. And I, I personally, I prefer it that way. Buddy, I'd like to introduce you to a little band called Maroon 5. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but you just don't have, I mean, you get people that scratch the surface like Ty Siegel um, and maybe Vampire Weekend and Ezra Koenig and, you know, people like that. But really, there's just no presence of, of the people that that guitar hero sought to deify you mm-hmm. know because who did they have integrated you know they had slash that was a playable character in the game yeah, and, right. and and since then slash was replaced with the likes of buckethead you know and not the immortal the buckethead <laughs> i was a little too young to understand how hilarious that was at the time <laughs> but you know revisiting it like people thought a dude with a with a KFC bucket on his head was going to save rock and roll and people really thought buckethead <laughs> was going to save rock and roll it was it was a rough time uh no and like i think like i think something else you said earlier which is like not just the fact that it's hard to move from guitar hero to real guitar but that like there's a way of viewing guitar hero as an entry point to music for people who couldn't afford music right like strange but true a playstation 2 and guitar hero costs less than probably a starter set if you wanted to learn how to play electric guitar and so like and and you know there are probably kids who just have video games like that's it like i know that seems like a luxury to a lot of people um younger or older than me but like a lot of kids like that's the entertainment like that's what it is because it it ticks a lot of boxes right um and so like guitar hero is a cheaper way to get into music and at the same point, everyone who's like a quote unquote real musician is just trashing these kids for, you know, not not doing it the same way they did. And like, you know, that instead of embracing that, instead of saying like, yeah, OK, like it isn't the same as guitar. But if you like that, if you like the feeling there, maybe you would like guitar and like encouraging it. It is just like it's shutting it down in, as you say, like the most sort of crass and i don't know uh, exploitative way possible right and for a lot of these kids it's as close to a revelatory experience with music as they're ever going to have as far as performance is concerned absolutely um i know for me that that was definitely the case you know that was it was something that i thought was noteworthy enough to show my parents and of course they were like taylor you could just learn to play the guitar that's, that's like, such a parent thing to say. It's not going to happen. I'm going to spend four more hours doing this. <laughs> and of course, they were right. But I had finally figured out how to reach the orange button. And that was enough for me. Hey, why not? I, you know, it's... it's. I wish... Uh, you know, it, it. I don't ever regret not, like, pursuing music. Especially knowing now what music became post 
I mean, even like it's it's amazing to think about like even after two thousand two, because that would have been when like if I would have made a decision not to go to college and be in a band full time, that's when it would have been. Uh, and I didn't make that decision, which was wise. Um, but just even thinking about like where music went after two thousand two, I can't regret it. Not like going into it. It's it's such a a hard scene at this point. At this, um, there is no money in no music anymore, and it's just not. I mean, I I I make more in academia, which is like. I mean, I no, don't want to. I don't want to dox old. myself, but it is it is uh, distressing that it's that's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because like that, I, as far as I know, that used to be the old, you know, what people would say cite as the, you know, are you really going to do that with your life? And it or, still is. You don't make any money in it, but there's more money to be made in that than music, which is shocking. I am uh, friends with people that are in bands whose songs have millions of plays on Spotify. Right. And, and they're not making any money off that. They are going to, next next week, they are playing my friend's house. Yeah. You know, and their, their music is featured in NPR, and they, you know, receive as much critical acclaim as one could hope for, um, and it just doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and it's rough. I mean, it's, it's really sad, and I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. I really don't. Um, like, I don't even know how to begin to imagine a solution for it outside of, like, you know, social revolution. Yeah, but, like, it's really the only viable option for artists <laughs> at this point. Yeah, right. Um, um, but we can't but, count on them to kill anybody either. So, where are we going to go? No, I mean, there? what are they going to do? They'll use their guitar as a gun, <laughs> like it's, uh, what, from Dust Till Dawn? Or, oh, what? no, that's not from Dust Till Dawn. That's the other Rodriguez. That's, uh, oh, man. That's that first, uh, uh Richard Rodriguez movie or a uh, Robert Rodriguez movie. Um, El Mariachi, El Mariachi. Okay. Um, classic, classic movie. He just carries a guitar that's also a gun. It's very, very, very Rodriguez. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you can't. And like the, I don't know, like I don't regret it. But at the same point, playing live shows, like doing that was also one of, I don't know, near like a top five experience for me anytime I played. Like it was just really special and fun and like revelatory, as you say. And it, it would be great if everyone could experience that and you know, not everyone can, but at least rock band gave a semblance of it or a guitar hero, even maybe guitar hero more purely gave a semblance of it, Absolutely. which is useful. Especially and, and messing good. up. Yeah. There's something to be said about the, the, the audible feedback that you got when you missed a note. <laughs> there was nothing quite as soul crushing as, the, the the cranking and the feedback yep. that would come from your PlayStation <laughs> when you miss the notes, and I, I have never felt more crestfallen than in that moment. You know, yeah. Freebird on Expert or whatever it was that I was doing. <laughs> I mean, the worst the worst thing that happened to me when I was it was my first show, and we were playing, we were covering Green Day's what song off of Green Day? Uh, we were probably covering. Um, Oh, uh, basket case. We were covering basket case. Okay, I mean, um, so I don't. I think it might have been the one time we ever covered basket case because it wasn't really the kind of music we played. But like, we just covered it because we didn't. I was, you know, we were all fourteen to sixteen year olds. Um, but the I just forgot the bridge. Um, I had been playing bass for maybe two months. And I just <laughs> forgot the bridge, and I just stood there. And I didn't know the bridge, and I was like, well, I just I don't know the bridge. <laughs> there was no. Bass There's nowhere for it. to go from there. Yeah, and I just jumped back in in the chorus once I remembered that. And the, the every time I would, like, see a string of notes and just, like, stop, be like, oh, 
oh no um in guitar hero too <laughs> that was exactly what it, where where i went back i was like that's the feeling like and i'm just in my room this isn't you know i'm not playing to 50 people this is like no one is here so it really was i mean it was very much immersive and i you know there's yet to have been a gaming experience that replicates that sort of like perceived scrutiny by a crowd that, that doesn't exist. <laughs> I haven't no. played anything since then that has really replicated that experience, which I think is what makes it so special. But also I think in a way doomed to fail mm-hmm. um, because it's just not a sustainable model. And I yeah. think, you know, that's a good way to round out this conversation is, you know, they were, they were, they had to reinvent the wheel if they wanted the momentum to keep going, and there just really wasn't anywhere else to go. If you look at the very last games in the series, um, it just between Rock Band two or Rock Band four, I guess, was the most recent one, and then in Guitar Hero Live, which reintroduced an entirely new guitar, where um, you would kind of finger more complex fret patterns that more resembled chords oh geez but it wasn't rocksmith so there was no selling point sounds awful it was i played the demo once in a walmart um (laughs) and like failed the song gold on the ceiling by the black keys on medium and was like who is this for yeah right (laughs) it's for no one (laughs) it's not you know it's not for kids and I, it might be for 30 year old dads that still think the black keys are cool. Cause like, <laughs> like, you know, this 30 year old, old dad never thought the black keys were cool. I had a phase in late high school or uh, no, it was like my freshman year and brothers had come out and I was like, mm. this is the shit. I love the blues. You know, <laughs> and it was a very dark time in my life. Um, yeah, no, and I think, like, you also said something that I think is, it, it sort of makes me think of this, like, the having a sustainability model, like, having a sustainability model and, like, a uh, an idea of, like, oh, well, how will we, how will we make this profitable over the long term and stuff like that, like, I don't want to suggest that Rock Band or uh, Guitar Hero 1, 2, 2 Live is, um, art like i don't think i don't think that's what it's going for i think it's something different i think it's like a simulation i think it's something you know unique uh it's not it's not going for art let's say and it's not really going for video games it's 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 sort of a hybrid form but it's 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 not fair and it's not like to be expected to do like to get to make like um what's the way to say this to make media that is expressive um whether whether it be art or just like fun um to force that into a sustainable model because it's never going to happen because um, art expression and expressions of fun are by their very nature often repetitive um, often failures often just like a series of experiments until you get the get the right thing and like to say like oh you've done enough of these and now you can't do anymore because it doesn't make us money i mean that's just that's i mean it's it's a recipe for failure and it's also just like depressing yeah, I, that was really, you know, going back to my earlier point about the death of the rock star, and also this point here is how depressing it was seeing exactly how tone deaf these the most recent games were. Because mm. as somebody that consumed music and would generally be the target audience for a product like this, I just felt like they completely 
left out every song worth including in a game like that because yeah. rock music exists and there's a lot of good rock music right now and it may not be you know as monetized as it used to be but like obviously i think the the death of rock music and guitar music is an exaggeration um but they did overlook every possible song barring maybe one song from a guy named benjamin booker who i think is pretty good mm-hmm. and one of his songs ended up in the new rock band cool um but that was what i think ultimately what was such a swing and a miss about it is there was just no relevant music in it whatsoever like even it's like hit music was from 2012 20 2013 so so pointless it was four years behind as it stood and it had you know no connection to what is actually the heart of the music community these days and i think Mm. you know that's all she wrote for that so you know what i think this is a good place to to wrap it up so yeah man uh, you 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 say that you're still figuring out this podcast thing, but you nailed it right in an hour. I, uh, I, something I, I'm 52 episodes in and I can't do that. So, um, good, good stuff, man. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it was great to have you on. Um, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Uh, before we, uh, say goodbye to everybody, um, you want to go ahead and tell us what you, who you are on Twitter? Oh, sure. Uh, so, uh, my Twitter is at Hegelbon, uh, H E G E L B O N. Um, you can also follow no cartridge. I believe the Twitter is just no cartridge. Um, I have, uh, I have someone I call the no cartridge intern running it. Um, he revealed himself at some point or another. I don't know how much he wants to be known who he is, but he's just a a buddy of mine. Um, and it's, it's very funny and very worth following. Uh, and then the show is on, um, shows on iTunes, Google play, uh, stitcher and at no dash cartridge.net. And writing by me at no-cartridge.com and all over the place. So if you just Google Trevor Strunk video games, you'll find the other stuff too. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, have me on anytime. This was really fun.